Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's Thanksgiving week, and so we only have one show, and we're going to try to fit everything into that one show. So we're kind of doing a split uh, schedule here. We're going to recap some of the games that happened yesterday, as well as look ahead, because we don't have a second show this week. But what we're looking ahead to is not week 12. We're looking ahead to the rest of the season, and we're going to take a look at all the playoff races that have significantly tightened over the last few weeks and try to project those going forward for the remainder of the year as we hit the home stretch. Uh, The AFC is, to put it lightly, a lot tighter than the NFC, but we're going to go over all of them nonetheless before we get into it. EJ, buddy, how you doing? This is our turducken of a show. We're just going to pack it full of everything we got a little bit of recap a little bit of looking forward to playoff races that are starting to take shape a lot of them are still really close so we'll go through all those uh and then we will release you all to you know go fill your own bumpus hounds table and see if you can you know travel meet family do whatever it is that you do for thanksgiving um thanksgiving and football man a lot of it coming a lot of it happened this week we'll try and give you a taste of both have you decided how you're doing your turkey by the way i'm not well, I am cooking, but I'm not cooking the main stuff. I'm doing uh, a couple sides and a dessert because we're going to go to my sister's. So I do uh, not have turkey responsibility this year. Neither do I. I'm on potato duty. I'm, Me too. I'm, I'm, I'm the potato guy, and so I'm doing mashed potatoes. And uh, I'm just a secret, by the way, for all of you that, that do your mashed potatoes at home. Don't boil them in water. Boil them in chicken stock. It comes out way better. Like, way, way better. So... There's your tip of the year on how to do good mashed potatoes for Thanksgiving. All right. First game on the docket. We're going to get right to it because we have a lot of stuff to do this week. Steelers-Browns. Um, you know, this this kind of had the look of a messy game going into it because you got DTR uh, making his second career start. This one he actually had a few days to prepare for, unlike the last one against the Ravens where he found out like three hours before. And he was going up against T.J. Watt in company uh, and, uh, and of course, Kenny Pickett on the other side. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this because there's a lot of a lot of negativity in Steelers land right now. And I don't want to feed too heavily into that. But at the same time, I want to validate the feelings of Steelers fans everywhere and say, yeah, the Kenny Pickett thing ain't working and the Matt Canada thing ain't working. I think if you're trying to assign blame to it, I would say yes. Like, not either or. I'm saying yes. And they remind me of, like, a toxic couple that you observe from afar, where you're like, neither of you are good for each other. Like, you're both kind of equally at fault here, right? Um, The offensive structure I've done 
a long study on it before and talked about all the problems with it, you know, the lack of aggressiveness, the really dumb run calls on second and long. Like, all that's well-documented. But even just Pickett himself on throws that they did call down the field, like Solak put out a, a cut-up of, like, every throw past the sticks from this game, Kenny didn't hit anything. So even when they tried to go down the field, Pickett was just straight-up bad. So if you're asking, you know, what's the main problem in Pittsburgh? I don't know. All of it? Like, at the same time, simultaneously? I, I just... I don't really have hope for this offense right now going forward. And even though they have the seven seed right now, doesn't feel like they're going to have it for very long. It's almost everything everywhere all at once. The the one saving grace, probably <laughs> Jalen Warren. But these are two teams that look really very much the same. They both have very good defenses, obviously both not getting a lot from the quarterback position for completely different reasons right now. But going into this game, it was kind of like two teams, you know, it's the Spider-Man meme or two teams looking in a mirror going, oh, they look a lot like us. And that's the way the game played out for the most part. Uh, you know, very low scoring affair. Defenses controlled this. DTR did just enough on that last drive to get him into field goal range. And, you know, the Browns ended up winning the game. For the Steelers thing, like Kenny Pickett is... Uh, he is kind of historically awful at this point in terms of what he's getting done inside of that offense. 315 quarterbacks have 500 pass attempts since the merger. This is the AFL and the NFL merging to become the modern NFL. This is a long time. Uh, only one has thrown a touchdown on fewer than 2% of his attempts. And his name is Kenny Pickett. Like, that is a long time, folks. That's a lot of football. That is... 315 quarterbacks to hold them up against. This is not cherry picking. It's not about rookies or young quarterbacks or anything. It's all quarterbacks since the merger. He's the only one that far down. It, yes, is the answer. It is not working across the board for the Pittsburgh offense. And yeah, they technically have a playoff, a seat at the playoff table right now. It really doesn't feel like that's going to continue unless something changes on offense. And I don't know what that something would be because they've already made the change that we asked for the most, which was Jalen Warren getting a whole lot more touches or maybe less touches, but just being, you know, effective as we said, he was going to be explosive. And he showed that yesterday, but that's not enough. Warren, and, and I want to highlight him because you mentioned him, but he's kind of the only thing that works for them. And he's the only reason they even have the offensive production that they do have, what little of it they do have. I would say he's been almost as important for them on offense as TJ's been on defense in terms of just somebody going out and making a play. He leads all running backs in the NFL at missed tackles force per attempt at 0.41, which is an absolutely nutty number. That's like <laughs> Javonta Williams in college. Like that's, that's the level of force missed tackles here. His yards per carry average is at 6.2. He has the highest first down or touchdown percentage on the team by far and the fourth highest overall in the league at 31% of his touches, moving the chains or scoring. He's a great receiver. He's a dog in pass protection. Like, he's everything. He is their best running back. And I, I don't even think that's a debate at this point. Like, he is their best running back, and yet he's only getting 28 snaps a game. So, again, that's also partially on Matt Canada for just not not giving him touches or at least the amount of touches he should get 
reminds me a lot of Austin Eckler when he was behind Gordon, right? Where Eckler, <laughs> like we saw this this young Eckler kid came out of yeah. nowhere, and we're like, "Who's that? He should get the ball more." And then <laughs> it took like three years, but he finally got the ball more. And it's like, oh yeah, he's really good. Who knew? Yeah, just to put it in perspective, Kenny Pickett yesterday threw for 106 yards, which yes, that's abjectly terrible. Jalen Warren ran for just ran for not receiving 129 yards. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad. That was also, uh, I believe, the fourth time this year that the Browns defense has held a quarterback to 110 or less. And they came very close to having the third time this year of allowing less than 100. Like, Tannehill got 104. Like, this Browns defense is, is good, no good. joke. Good, yeah. good, right? And they had DTRs back. Um, DTR, I thought he was okay. I think a better first half than second half. They kind of emphasized the quick game a lot, similar to what they did with Deshaun in the back half of the Ravens game. Weren't really going down the field. Like they did like one off of a boot that he hit, but they were really emphasizing quick game and yak and and doing all the same kind of stuff they did with Deshaun. And he was okay at it. Um, nothing catastrophic, but also nothing crazy good. He did enough to win the game because his defense is insane. As for whether or not this is sustainable for the rest of the year, like they're a seven and three ball club, we'll see. Like DTR will have to play better and make some make some clutch plays if this is going to work down the down the stretch. I think there's a possibility it could, um, but at the same time, uh, if there was ever a team to get your first start against, it's going to be the Steelers because the pressure to score points is not that high against them. The defense, his first two starting defenses, you know, Ravens and Steelers, both divisional opponents for them. Not not an easy road, but I, I look at his first, you know, true start, like you said, where he had any kind of notice. And it doesn't look all that much different. It does in depth of target than like Aiden O'Connell's first action with the Raiders, where he made a bunch of mistakes, showed a little bit of promise, and we all said, eh, he's got to play better. And lo and behold, here later in the season, he has a little more tread off his tires, a few more starting reps, and Aiden's starting to play better. I feel like, yeah, the Browns are going to need that from DTR. They're going to need that improvement with these reps to play better down the stretch, or else they're going to fall short. But I'm not saying that can't happen because he's proven throughout his career, uh, and certainly in college, that he is a learner and that he will adapt. That is one of his strengths. So there's hope here, Browns fans. We said we thought this game was winnable. They won it. Do they need to do more? Sure. Is that, you know, at least possibility based on history with DTR? Sure. Uh, speaking of AOC, by the way, let's talk about Raiders Dolphins. Second game on the docket. Aiden, I, I thought, played encouraging overall, but he still he, he still does get a little bit too much dip on the chip from time to time. You know, uh, I would say the aggressiveness on the whole has given them a better chance to win than what they had, uh, you know, with Jimmy, of course, and, and, and with Hoyer. Uh, but that... That second to last pick, I mean, the last one I don't necessarily hold too much against him. It was like 30 seconds left. He's taking a shot to the end zone. They're down by seven. Fine, whatever, right? Um, but the second to last one where he's like trying to save a sack and he's just trying to get an incompletion, he throws it up and then it gets picked. It's like, all right, kid, come on. But, you know, average depth of target 11.3. He was taking 
big swings down the field the entire day. Arguably, the main reason they were even in it was because one of those big swings went to Devontae for a touchdown. Um, but you you would like to see him kind of rein that in just a little bit so that they don't put themselves into trouble consistently. It's a challenging proposition with Aiden, and we knew it would be because that is his full character as a passer. He is going to take the chances. He is going to push the ball. He has pride in that. He is also pretty good at self-scouting and understands when he gets too much on it. And he's learning, but he's got to put that learning into practice about when those windows are going to close, about when I just need to take the sack and move on. And it's adding up. We would like it to add up faster, but I would I would encourage all of us, including Raiders fans, to rewind this a month and ask if they felt that that Raiders team with Jimmy G and McDaniels had a chance against the Dolphins. And I think the answer would have been a resounding, no, what are you talking about? That's not even in the realm of possibility. They were in this game for the most of it. This was a close game, and it is because they're a whole different team under Antonio Pierce. We've seen that transition sweep through the locker room and and the ranks of players. They look completely different. And Aiden, Aiden will push the ball down the field, and Jimmy won't. So, Yep, we want him to do the good stuff and a little bit less of the bad stuff. That's hard to separate. It's kind of his quarterbacking DNA. He is going to push the ball. We'd like him to be just a little bit smarter about it, but make no mistake, the sort of Antonio Pierce switch, which then led to the switch to Aiden, makes this a completely different and more competitive football team. They also got to get better up front. Uh, You know, couldn't really run the ball. Uh, like at all like I don't think they had any successful run plays on the day maybe like one or two Um, and pass protection was an issue and Thayer Munford got just abused out there Parham had a rough game at guard so you know Aiden was under siege quite a bit but still like in the National Football League you're going to be under pressure got to handle it better Uh, but the Raiders I think this offseason should probably invest a little bit more on the offensive line. Like they, they can't, they need more depth to put it diplomatically speaking. I don't think they can go into next year with this, with this group of five. Uh, there's just, the pressure has been, been too consistent this year for, for my money. It's tough to have Josh Jacobs and come away with, you know, 39 yards rushing under three yards of carry like you would say for young quarterback oh you've got Josh Jacobs just lean on him right he'll be your safety blanket they tried it's not that they didn't give him any carries it's not like he had sub 10 carries in this game he had 14 carries and you know he ends up with 39 yards that's that's not something you can lean on offensively and keep drives going on the other side uh you know Dolphins were not even a little bit sloppy they were a lot of bit sloppy Tua had the early fumble he had a, a pick to start the second half which I think might have been a miscommunication, uh, and I was kind of watching back the All-22 on it. There was a middle field safety, and so it kind of looked like the post was flattening down to get under the post safety, and Tua thought that he was still going to carry it deep, and so Tua left it deep, and the safety got an easy pick. Like In terms of who was right and who was wrong on that one, I probably leaned towards the receiver because he's just reading where the safety is, and he's running to grass, and Tua just misread it, I guess. Uh, but still, you know, that's a mistake that you can't have coming out of locker room. Like you get the ball back on kickoff and then you just forfeit a possession, basically. So uh, there was there was a lot of mistakes from the Dolphins. Like Tua almost threw another pick in the red zone that Spillane dropped. Not a super clean game from him, but 
the fact that you have yak threats like Tyreek that can turn a good play into a great play, it it goes a long way for covering up mistakes when you're when you have that much explosiveness on your offense that even if you don't play your best game as a quarterback, you could still end up with 300 plus yards and and a couple touchdowns just because the dudes that you're throwing to are just that damn good. The Tua Tyree connection was the one the Dolphins leaned on in this game, and it's the reason they keep the lead in the AFC East. It's the reason they beat the Raiders, which we, again, wouldn't have said a month ago. But, yeah, their their dudes are better. And <laughs> When you complete balls to that guy, he's going to make you look really good. He did yesterday. He was the catalyst for their offense. Other guys contributed as well, but, like, the major chunks, the big plays, the pressure they put the Raiders defense under came from that two at a Tyreek connection. It's the reason they won this game. I think overall this game was a testament to the fact that the Dolphins like they they will run into speed bumps of their own making quite frequently. Against a better team, this probably would have ended up being similar to the Bills game where they made a couple early mistakes and then just got like a landslide on top of them, you know. Philly they made a couple mistakes and then they just got leaned on in the fourth quarter like they can't afford to make these mistakes against top tier teams which is why they keep losing to top tier teams because they just can't play a clean game but against a I would even be generous and say a mid-tier team like the Raiders their margin for error is greater because of their explosiveness but they just they can't get away with this against Buffalo when they play against them again they can't get away with it against Kansas City in the playoffs like they just they can't they have to learn to play a clean game and so far this year they haven't done that very often is it um, fair to call the Raiders freshly mid they are freshly mid and to be <laughs> honest like if you go, if you go back to the the summer preview series when we were talking about the Raiders we even said at the time like they're not going to be the worst team but they're not going to be the best team either. Like they are just solid middle of the pack. <laughs> like they're they're there. They are they exist. <laughs> like that is the Raiders this year. I'm excited for their future because I like Antonio Pierce, uh, and I am a fan of of uh, Aiden O'Connell, and I hope that he can turn into their own Kirk Cousins. I don't know that he will, but I, I hope he does because I like the guy. Um, but yeah, that is a solid mid pack Raiders team. They can either beat everybody or lose to everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think freshly mid is an upgrade that their fans appreciate because they were not mid in the beginning of the season. They were they were one of the lower class teams in the NFL. They couldn't beat anybody. They couldn't really get out of their own way. And while mid might sound like typically it's an insult right now, that's that's an ascension for them. And they are figuring some things out. They're getting some more reps to look at Aiden and, and see whether or not he's going to be their guy going forward. They're also figuring out things about the rest of the roster. Like you mentioned Spillane, and we haven't mentioned him on this podcast, and we really need to. Like that guy is playing the lights out. Antonio Pierce is a former linebacker. His new head coach loves that guy. Like says he's the linchpin of that defense. It's a defense with Max Crosby on it, and he says Spillane is the guy I want in an alley. Like Spillane has been paying off that faith, and I think when he got signed by the Raiders, very few people went, oh, that's a difference maker. He's been a difference maker over the last month. Yeah. Uh, Steelers could sure use him right now with all their linebacker <laughs> injuries. Like, they yes. definitely miss him. Yes, they uh, could. Speaking of teams that can't get out of their own way, by the way. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, Chargers Packers. 
I just, what else can you say at this point? You know, Chargers receivers had six drops, including two drop touchdowns. All of them except one were on third or fourth down. You know, the the, the QJ drop late was just brutal. Uh, you know, there were defensive lapses late in the game. Again, you know, the third and 20s kind of live in Chargers fan nightmares forever. I, I don't know what the solution is here. I mean, I do, but <laughs> I it's, a, say, tu- it's sure? a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I look at, I look at the situation and I know that something has to change. I don't know if they're going to do it. Um, and I, I don't want to like call for jobs. Like I'm not in, I'm not in this business to call for somebody's job, but how do you look at this team that five of their six losses are three points or less, and they consistently lose very close one-possession games because of defensive lapses, especially in crucial moments late in the game. Like, how, how do you look at this team that is so bad in situational football and say, we're good, we can stick with this for the rest of the year? Like, I, I think it's in fairness to Chargers, like you have to be fair to Chargers fans and look like you're at least trying, right? And I I don't think that anything's going to happen this week. But if they go out and they lose in brutal fashion again to the Ravens, at at some point you got to look at this and say, we got to do something, you know? I think that point is now, and I don't think it's calling for somebody's job. I think it's calling for change and this is not a quick hook. This is demonstrated ability over a long period of time. And it is the same demonstrated ability, the ability to lose in heartbreaking fashion in close games, to not take a very talented roster and elevate it to have that spark that says, oh, we've got a chance in every game. And Chargers fans have the opposite of spark right now. They are hopeless about this. They believe this is the outcome no matter what. And that's rough with a roster that talented. You've got Herbert. You've got a very good receiving core. You've got Eckler. You've got a defense full of stars that you've paid. And you cannot, <laughs> over the last three-plus seasons, make a difference in games that you need to make a difference in. A lot of games, 70% of games in the NFL are one-score games. Like, if you can't win close games, you're not really going to win anything ever. So I'm not here to say... Brandon Staley should be fired. I'm here to say, if you're the Chargers, just like you, you cannot keep running this back. I've seen enough. You said, I think we're going to get to that point. I'm already at that point. I'm not sure what you would say as an administration uh, or as an owner to say, oh, yeah, well, we're going to run it back because he needs what? What does he need to win that he doesn't have? And the answer is, in my opinion, nothing. Like, this team needs a kick in the ass and a little bit of culture to say, no, this is how you win. Because winning is a skill. It's not a quarterback stat, but it is a skill. And good teams have it, and bad teams don't. And the Chargers do not have it, and they desperately need it. There's also, again, the Kellen Moore of it all. They're going to lose Kellen. Like, he's going to be a head coach. The question is, is it going to be for you or somebody else? And when you look at the improvement of the Chargers offense this year, you know, going into this week, they were the second best red zone team in the entire league, like barely behind the Dolphins. It was like 
2% behind the Dolphins. They were the seventh highest in terms of, uh, you know, drive success rate, like scoring drive success rate, even though they're 20th off the top of my head in terms of number of possessions. Like, they didn't get very many possessions uh, against Detroit. They had, like, nine total drives and, and scored on five of the last nine, right? So from a per-drive efficiency standpoint, they're an elite team. They're great in the red zone. Uh, you know, like Kellen Moore came in and improved so much about this team offensively. And the offense is not usually the reason why they lose. Like you could argue, you could argue it was for this week because of all the drops and everything like that. And they, they didn't execute in the red zone for once, but like I'm willing to give them a pass one time against Green Bay, (laughs) looking at the other 10 weeks of the season where they were elite compared to the defense that that did give up several games you know so I think the Kellen Moore of it all is like hey he's gonna get hired somewhere and at some point I think the Spanos family will recognize that and say we should at least see what it looks like you know like if things are going south and they're out of the playoff race because right now they're out of the playoff race if things are going south, like I could see them saying, like, we got to test this out so that we know going into this hiring cycle what we got to do. Be nice for them to have some of that on film and see how the team responds. I think of another team in their division, the Raiders, who've had a major culture change. We just talked about them and how much happier everybody, including the owner, is. And make no mistake, that's a really important factor in this. Flipping it over to the other side, Jordan Love played well in this one, and we said in the preview how important these last games down the stretch were for the Packers' future. They are the youngest team in the NFL. They need to know if Jordan Love is the guy. But also their younger receiver core threw their hats in the ring, too. We've been wanting to see more of Jaden Reed. He had 46 rushing and 46 receiving, plus a touchdown in this one. Dobbs and Watson both tacked on receiving touchdowns. That's good growth for that young receiving core and that connection between Love and those guys, which is going to be really key if they move on next year you know continuing with Jordan Love and say he's the guy he's gonna need that trust he's gonna need that connection and that offense is needs that ability from all those guys to score points they showed it that's that's encouraging for Packers fans it was one of maybe not the but one of the best games that Love has played as a pro you know, he got the ball out quickly. He was decisive. He made a couple really nice throws down the field. Um, it was one of the few times this season where I looked at him on film and was like, okay, this this might work, you know? Yeah, that, that looks like it. That's what you want from an NFL <laughs> That looks like that could work, you know? And again, we, we talked last week. It's like, hey, this is a really young team. They got young receivers. They got a young quarterback. Like, maybe they just need time to gel. Now, the Chargers defense is one that is easier than most to gel against. But, hey, they did it. Like, they went out there and they executed. I'm going to give them credit for that. Uh, the The thing that I want to see from Jordan Love going forward, because he has to play against the Lions this week, which is a defense that has had quite a few lapses over the last five, six weeks, something like that, Um you know, if he goes out and plays, plays well against the Lions, and then he's got an elite defense in the Chiefs, if he survives the Chiefs, not even plays well, but just survives the Chiefs and looks okay against them, you know, then you got the Giants, you got the Bucks, you got the Panthers, uh, you got the Vikings, uh, and then you finish it up with the Bears. This is a really crucial stretch because 
there's winnable games in there. They could theoretically go on a run and make up some ground against Minnesota, maybe sneak in as a seven seed. I'm not saying it's a great shot, but it's a shot. If he does that and he looks just like he did this week in those games, I I, I wouldn't completely rule them out or rule them out from like, you know, adding in another quarterback in like, you know, the day two, early day three range in the draft. But I don't think they would go after one early if he does that, because that stretch, you know, this opportunity to take a team that's two games out of it right now to get them into the playoffs. If he does that, I think he's earned another shot in 2024 to, to make this work long term. If he looks solid through that stretch of games, because that is a mixed stretch. There are some good teams in there with some good defenses. There are some poor teams in there with very poor defenses. If he stays consistent down the stretch, keeps them in games, gives them a chance, uses the weapons, I think they probably stay with him because they have all the development done. We know that, yes, you reset the clock when you get a young quarterback, but you also start over with all the rookie mistakes that we're talking about with a DTR or an Aiden or anybody else. And that includes Drake, May, and Caleb. Like, not everybody. In fact, not anybody so far in the history of the NFL is going to come in and be C.J. Stroud. C.J. did it, but that was not the consensus on C.J. before he got drafted. So all this like, oh, well, if we just get a C.J. Stroud, that's not how it works. If they <laughs> have luck. a yeah, if they have a solid product, nobody's ever done it before. So if they have a solid product in Jordan Love and he is giving them a chance every week and looks like he did this week, I don't think they move on. I think they use their picks to to bolster the roster around him and say, we can win with this. Uh next game on the docket, another young quarterback that literally just last week said had earned another shot in 2024 and we were super excited about the development in typical curse fashion he goes out there and he throws three picks and the commanders turn it over six times and they lose to Tommy DeVito uh it was like I'm gonna be totally honest here I still love Sam Howell like I think he's still gonna get a shot in 2024 but boy this was a bad game like just a straight up inexcusably bad game the first pick sailed it over his receiver's head by like five yards, got picked off. The second one, I don't know what possessed him to stop while running from pressure and having like Dexter Lawrence and all these guys running him down from behind and for him to try to stop and set his feet to throw down the field. I'm like, of course you're going to get lit up and then throw a duck and get picked. And then late in the game, the pick six, you know, kind of similar to Aiden O'Connell where he's like, he's just trying to make something happen, but like he put his team in that position to where he needed to make something happen in the first place, right? Because of how careless he was with the ball, not to mention the other three lost fumbles from his skill position players on top of that. It was a horrible, no good, very bad day from the commander's offense and hell like there's no excuses for this one. They lost to Tommy DeVito who got sacked nine times and they still lost handily. Like, it's one of the sloppiest, messiest, worst losses I've seen from any team this year. And honestly, the only thing, the only real takeaway I have from it is that that's the kind of loss that for Ron Rivera might, might cost him dearly. 
that's the one that kicked over for me about three quarters of the way through this game is this is bad enough that it might start tipping the hand. And there's a lot of talk that with a new owner in Washington, he wants his own guys underneath him as a coaching staff. Ron Rivera's dealt with that, I think, in a pretty diplomatic way, saying, hey, I'm going to go out and coach a football team. I don't have final say in that. Whatever happens, happens, which is coach speak for I'm doing my best here. And if my best isn't good enough, I'm going to get fired anyways. The NFL is weird. The phrase is on any given Sunday, and Tommy DeVito threw and completed both through and completed about half of the passes that Sam Howell did. But he had three times as many TDs because, let me check my notes, Saquon Barkley is a crazy athlete. <laughs> like, he bailed him out on some of those catches, and look, he's a tremendous receiver, and they made, they being the Giants, made a lot of hay last year, leaning on Saquon for a lot of those wins they got that got him into the playoffs. Tommy DeVito is a plucky guy. We know that he's got, he's used to getting hit. He played at Syracuse. Like, but the fact that he wins this game over a commander's team that we feel much more excited about because of that level of, you got to take care of the ball. You can't have as many picks. You got to make better decisions. It feels for Howell. I'm not out on Howell in any stretch, I think he is a good and developing young quarterback, but this is one of those burn the film games. Like you're not, you already know most of that stuff. You're not going to learn a lot from this one. Like go, man, we gave one up. It is a costly one for us and our team. It is a divisional game. We were better than that team. We should have beat them. We didn't. We got embarrassed. A lot of it is our fault. We're going to go, you know, back to our plan for next week. And we're not going to spend a lot of time looking at what we did badly against the Giants because you'd be nodding your heads going, yeah, I kind of knew it when I did it. It wasn't great. It cost us the game. It was spread around. It wasn't just Howell. Howell, obviously not good enough, but you talked about the other fumbles. Like the defense has got to be feeling like, look, we hit that guy. We put that guy on the ground nine times. Give us a little help here. And they couldn't get it. They lose the game. It does feel like a sort of trash bin film and and move on and and keep driving and try and get more wins. I think Howell will move past it. He did it a lot of times in his college career. There's just not a lot to learn from this film. Fun fact. In home games this season, Washington is averaging 3.4 turnovers per game at home. On the road, it's actually a lot less. Uh, it's like 1.4. But like they or no, it's <laughs> less than that. 0.7. So like they're, they're actually a lot safer with the ball when they're away from their own stadium. But that game single-handedly pushed them down into a season-long average of 1.9 per game, which is the second worst in the NFL behind Cleveland. Like, that game moved them, like, 10 spots down. So, uh, yeah, going going plus six or minus six in turnover differential is it's a good way to lose, EJ. It's a very good way to lose. Um, all right, last game that we'll go over, Seahawks-Rams. Um this one frustrated me, frustrated me a lot because it was an incredibly winnable game and the Rams consistently beat the Seahawks when the Seahawks have winnable games. Like, I don't know what it is about the Rams. They just can't get over it. But even if we just take out the Geno injury and when he's coming back, last drive, right, field goal wins it, they have, what, a minute 40-something, no timeouts. They got to get to the 40-ish yard line, something like that. 
So they're driving, they're driving, get to third down, throws a dart with a hurt elbow to DK, gets him on the fringe of field goal range. The thing that really frustrates me with the Seahawks is when it comes to situational football and knowing what to do in situational football, they've been horrible this year. I'm talking like third worst on third down the entire NFL. They're in the 20s in red zone execution. Like they are really bad in situational football. And this very winnable game was another example of them being bad in situational football. So they hit the strike to DK. And after the game, Geno says his headset went out in that moment, right? And so he didn't he wasn't getting a play call in. And to me, as a veteran quarterback, right? No timeouts, 20-something seconds on the clock. You should automatically know, even if I'm not getting in my head, we're spiking this thing. Like, we are spiking it. We get potentially three plays here. You know, we could still work the middle of the field, get up, spike it for a field goal. Gino, in his head, he was thinking, I need to call a play. The quickest one I can call is let's, let's run inside zone with Zach Charbonnet. And so they run inside zone and gets two yards, sets up like a 55-yard field goal. And they only get one play because then it takes them a long time to get people off the pile and then they spike it. The, the, the lack of situational awareness to know, even without a coach telling you, spike it. And Pete said after the game, like, we should have been spiking it. That is what is consistently killing Seattle this year. And that's the reason they lost the game. Like, they were sort of in field goal range, but 55 is not super easy. If you give them a couple plays... To, to get a bigger chunk, to turn it from 55 to 45, we might be looking at a Seahawks win here and then going into Thanksgiving at 7-3. and three. Instead, they lose a very winnable game to the Rams uh, and are 6-4 and four, and now have to scratch, claw, and fight three days from now on Thanksgiving against a resurgent Niners team just to stay in the race for the division. I just think this team as talented as they are and as much as we love Gino and as much as we love as much as we love the receivers their situational football is so bad this year that i i don't know what to make of their chances in january because that's when you need to be best at situational ball and they're horrible at it they need to be sharper there's no question mcveigh was smiling all the way to the bank on this one he knew that his team shouldn't have won this game on a couple instances but again when the universe, you know, hands you lemons, you make lemonade. When it hands you cookies, you just freaking eat them. And he was sitting on the sideline eating them. The Rams just own the Hawks. And this goes back before McVay. This goes back to, you know, the Holmgren era when the Rams would have teams that weren't as good. They would come up and take games from Seattle. They're not the rivals to the Seahawks. That's definitely the Niners. But in terms of the thorn in your side, the Rams have been that for the Seahawks for a long time. McVay is 10-5 and five versus Pete. McVay has more wins versus Pete than any other coach. This is not a new thing. And the Rams got a huge boost. The officials called a phantom, you know, pass interference call on, on Witherspoon when Puka tripped in the end zone. He literally tripped on another defender. Spoon was just standing next to him. They give him a fresh set of downs. What would have been not a touchdown turns into a touchdown. Like, and McVay knew it. And look, you're not going to argue with that as a coach, but he just smiled and said, we have to execute. And what you're talking about with the Seahawks is when those things happen for them, good or bad, they don't execute. And then they go, oh, if we would have got a call, 
you can't leave it up to the officials. Officials are going to make bad calls for everybody. Sometimes they go for you. Sometimes they go against you. But if you put yourself in this situation, you give yourself 10 extra yards on the field goal, even for your very reliable field goal kicker, you can't put yourself in those spots. And the Seahawks do over and over again. The short week is really rough. We're going to talk about this as we switch over to playoff seating. But could have been going in for a huge matchup on Thanksgiving with an even record against their rival at home. Like, that game could have been even bigger. Now, through no fault of their own, they limp into it a little bit. We'll talk about the Geno injury. They need him down the stretch. Like, Drew Locke ain't it 100%. Drew Locke came in, and the Seahawks offense went completely flat. They did nothing. After Drew yeah. Locke came in, he is not the answer. They need Geno healthy and on the field. They might have him. Took a nasty shot, has a bruise uh, on his tricep right behind his elbow. Did come in, throw some late strikes. That's good. But now he's got a short week. He's got a tough defense. Probably going to be cold up here on Thanksgiving Day. That's not going to help. That's not going to, or Thanksgiving evening, actually. That's just like you had the chance here. It was right there in front of it and you didn't seize it. And I'm with you. Good teams seize those opportunities. They find those ways to win close games against division foes. Hawks don't do it consistently enough. On the flip side uh, for the Rams, a great win for them, right? Love that they're still showing fight in a season that has not really gone their way at all. And even going into the year, you know, we made notes of of the fact that very young team, you know, kind of anchored by phenomenal veterans, but like it's 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 a few really good old guys and a bunch of kids on this roster, right? So like there was going to be growing pains. We knew that. Rams fans, I've seen express some frustration also with the Seahawks' lack of situational awareness because they are now one of the teams that that knows they're not going to make the playoffs probably uh and they are now no longer one of the three win teams so they dropped from the seventh pick to the 14th pick if you're paying attention to draft order at this time of year and believe me on rams twitter they are definitely paying attention to draft order so i think this win from la um i i think i think they're out of the caleb and may sweepstakes at this point like i don't i don't think there's any way they even have a shot at getting either of them. Um, but there still needs to be a succession plan in place for Stafford long-term, and that's really what a lot of Rams fans are thinking about, is like, what are we going to do? Because <laughs> he's not going to play with us forever, right? And now we don't have any shot at Caleb or May. We're probably not going to have a shot at whoever QB3 is, whether it's McCarthy or Daniels or Knicks or whoever. And so now, you know, the the offseason plans for the Rams significantly changed yesterday. And I know it sounds early to be talking about that, but it's not. It's really not. And I think I think the overall projection for what the Rams are going to be doing was massively altered yesterday. And I think that that should be taken into account. It's not too early to start talking about that. Stafford also got knocked out of the game yesterday. He did come back because he's Matt freaking Stafford and he's built out of iron. He's taken a million of those horrible shots and come back to play. Played pretty well. He is not going to play forever. And if he decides that's it, I'm done taking punishment. I'm going to hang it up, which there was some sort of 
hue and cry this offseason that last year might be that year, that he might not come back for this year. Rams would have been in a much different place, but they probably wouldn't have. Well, no, they definitely wouldn't have the wins that they do with him at quarterback. And they would be in a very different position, positioning themselves for their future quarterback. As it is now, mid-pack, it's not going to get you one of the top quarterbacks, and they are going to have to figure out what they're going to do. If they're lucky and Stafford comes back for one more year and his arm doesn't fall off, maybe they make it. Maybe they make another run. Maybe that's their bridge, but that's a maybe, and you don't have the other option now. So, yeah, Les Need and company are definitely thinking about, so what do we do now? Let's talk about... uh the rest of the NFC playoff race, which the Rams just did their part to shake up significantly. This one is going to be a lot quicker than when we talk about the AFC, full disclosure. And there's good reason for that, right? Nine teams in the NFC out of 16. So the majority of teams in the NFC are at four wins or fewer. There's very few teams that are actually like 500 or above in the NFC. And right now, if we're looking at, uh, you know, like the ESPN playoff machine, which is kind of how you can go through week by week and test out different scenarios and see how it affects seating. But right now, as it stands, before the Chiefs and Eagles game, because we're recording this Monday morning, uh, so first seed is Philly, second seed is Detroit, third seed is San Francisco, fourth seed is the Saints. Those are your four division winners. Your wild card teams are Dallas in the fifth seed, Seattle in the sixth seed, Minnesota in the seventh seed Seattle and San Francisco play on Thanksgiving this week we're still not 100% sure if Gino's gonna go like Pete said I don't know but with an elbow contusion and knowing Gino like he's probably gonna go right so that game in itself is massive in terms of determining seeding but my overall question is with the Vikings in the seventh seed essentially two games ahead of everybody else in the conference with seven to go, it is somewhat unlikely that the seven teams that are in right now are going to change, barring a shift in the NFC South where it's where it's a little bit tighter for the division race. But it's pretty much either these seven teams, maybe the Falcons make a push for to, to knock off the Saints, and maybe, this one's even less likely, maybe the Packers make a push for the seven seed. But again, that depends on Jordan Love playing a lot better. What I want to know from you, EJ, is looking at this current group of seven, do you think that these are the final NFC playoff field? We just don't know who's going to be what seed yet. It feels like it to me, and it also reminds me that I really wish they'd update the playoff rules because the Saints are just, dead weight they're five and five right now they're worse than every other team we talked about and they are significantly better than everybody in their division at the same time like the nfc south just probably shouldn't have a playoff contender this year that's just the way it is they're not they don't look like their position to make a run i would put way more money on the packers making a run um, than the saints or anybody else from the nfc south so yeah i think these are the teams in terms of Final seeding does feel like the Niners will probably best the Hawks, especially since they've got that huge game just three, four days from now. When they come to Seattle, Geno nursing an injury, the Niners looking like the Niners again, that's probably going to be the way that goes. Doesn't seem like the Cowboys are going to let up very much. You know, if the Eagles stumble, which I don't really see them doing, yes, the Cowboys could take that division, but I really don't see that happening. So, yep, it's 
it's feeling like we have a pretty good idea in the NFC who's going to be there. A run would have to be really significant. Like the wheels would have to fall off the Vikings. Kevin O'Connell's got them playing really well under Josh Dobbs, so I don't see that happening. And the Packers and Jordan Love would have to be sort of flawless down the stretch. Eh, don't really see that happening. So the shakeup in the NFC, not super likely. Guys, you know, some teams might flip-flop position in terms of division winner versus definitely in the playoffs. But overall, this is probably our group. In quick defense of the Saints, by the way, because I know we have a lot of Saints fans that listen to this show, they're going to take offense to us completely writing them off, including our friend Adney, who lives in Texas, but he's a Saints fan. Um, I want to acknowledge, yes, they are a strong defensive team. They are top 10 in terms of overall scoring defense because they're good at keeping teams out of the red zone. But once teams get into the red zone, or rather if they play against a team that's very good at getting into the red zone, like Dallas, who if the playoff started today, they would have to play Dallas in the first round, four seed hosting five seed. Their red zone defense is really bad, like mid-20s in terms of touchdown efficiency uh, in the red zone. Their red zone offense is also bad. They're really bad on third down on offense. Like situational football is not the Saints' friend. And if you want to win in January, you have to be good in situational football. Like they are, they are similar to the Seahawks, but not, not as good <laughs> as the Seahawks. Like they are a, not by much, but they're a slightly lesser version of of that Seattle team, in my opinion. And Seattle just happens to have a better quarterback in, in Geno. But like it's it's a tough matchup for them. So even if they're going to make it, like they're, they're probably going to make it. Like they're the best team in the NFC South this year. Do I have any faith in them actually beating Dallas in the first round? Not really. So like I, I understand the frustration with a lot of people that, that are looking at, at whoever the NFC South since the playoffs at like a barely over 500 record. And they're like, are they the, are they the fourth best team in the NFC? No, but they're the fourth seed. It is what it is. The rules kind of suck sometimes. Uh, all right. AFC. Um, this one's a lot tougher because there are nine teams, like we said, of four wins or fewer in the NFC, and there's only four of those in the entire AFC. Twelve teams in the AFC are above four wins. It's a slaughterhouse. All right. It's a destruction derby. It's... It's going to be really, really nerve-wracking down the stretch here, seeing all these teams constantly shift in and out of, like, the 5 through 7 seed. And even then, like, we, we could see some shifts at, at top of division as well. Like, the, the Jags and Texans are basically playing for the division this week, you know, because the Jags are at 7-3, and three, the Texans are at 6-4. and four. If they win and it's 7-4, and four, Texans have tiebreaker, and it, it would be a tough hill to climb for the Jags to like if you're just looking at the schedules down the stretch it would be a tough hill to climb for the Jags to win that division if they lose this week so there's a lot up in the air for the AFC as of right now if the playoffs started today what it's looking like is KC at the first seed surprise surprise Baltimore at the second seed Jacksonville at the third seed temporarily Miami at the fourth seed those are your division leaders and then in the five through seven seeds you have Cleveland Houston and Pittsburgh at the seven. Now, we talked earlier about uh, not having a whole lot of hope 
in Pittsburgh at this point. You know, they had a lot of blood magic kind of carry them through the first 10 weeks of the season that may or may not have run out at this point. I'm not entirely sure if they're going to be able to hang on to that seven seed. You have Denver coming on late here. They're playing a lot better. Uh, you know, you're also looking at uh, another five-win team in Vegas that maybe could make a little bit of a push. Uh, I would say Indy maybe could make a little bit of a push, but there's still a lot more up in the air in the AFC than the NFC. This current group of seven that I listed off before, do you think that is the final group? And if not, who do you think gets in? There's going to be a lot more jockeying on this side. And I think possibly even a lot more jockeying for division leads, which really starts to shake things up. Because if you are, you know, you're in the division lead and you end up losing it, then you've got a very competitive field in the AFC nipping at your heels for all these, you know, like you said, five through seven seeds. And the Broncos are the interesting one in the West because I have like more faith in how the Broncos are playing right now than I do the Steelers. And if you're talking about that five through seven mix, like if you said today, do you think the Broncos are going to kick the Steelers out and take a spot? My answer would be emphatically. Yeah, sure feels like that based on how both of those teams have played over the last, say, three weeks. Ravens eight and three. It's weird that they're not the top seed, but. That's what, you know, the extra loss is going to do to you. And then all the other NFC North teams, it feels like the Browns have to hang on. Steelers, I don't feel like they do for all the reasons we've talked about. Um, and then Jaguars and Texans feels to me a lot like Bills and Dolphins, right? There are two teams within a game of each other, the top of their division. They're playing each other earlier uh, than Bills and Dolphins are. But like you said, that game's going to set the course for are we making this a tough hill to climb? I think both of those teams make it. I hope both of those teams make it because I think they're two of the best teams in the conference and I want to see them in the playoffs. So, you know, probably Steelers slipping out, maybe Broncos slipping in. Um, other than that, it's who gets the top spot in each division, but the other team definitely feels like they're going to make it if they don't. What's interesting about the Bills situation, and they did look a lot better on offense against the Jets, like from a, from a play-by-play efficiency efficiency standpoint, they were roughly the same as the Ken Dorsey era. But in terms of scoring drive efficiency, they were way better. You know, way better in terms of being able to actually put points on the board and not stall out. So what they did a good job of was, was once they got within striking distance of being within striking distance, <laughs> they, they stopped fucking it up. You know, like they weren't stalling out. You know, the, the turnover issue, thankfully, didn't rear its ugly head, which wasn't really like a Ken Dorsey problem, like, you know, throwing bad picks and balls bouncing off receivers' hands. Like, they happened to not be super snake bitten in this game, which played in their favor. But if you're looking at their run-pass rate in that kind of, like, crucial fringe, almost in field goal range, like, they were the highest in the NFL last week in terms of run rate. Like, they just got yards. They, they got into field goal position, and they stayed in field goal position. So no matter what, they were getting points out of most of their drives, which was a problem they were having, is they would, they would almost get in position to score and then not score because they kept stalling. They weren't stalling this week. So that does give me hope for the Bills going forward. However, again, we got seven games to go. Yep. If you're looking at their schedule down the stretch, so they're playing against the Eagles, then they're playing against the Chiefs, then the Cowboys, then you got the Chargers, 
obviously winnable there. Then you got the Patriots, very winnable there. And then you're finishing with the Dolphins. Uh, so not se- not seven games, six games to go, excuse me. But four of those six are against like elite teams in the NFL, right? And they already dropped their tiebreaker to Denver. If you're looking at Denver's schedule down, down the stretch, they also have to deal with the Browns and they have to deal with the Texans. But then they get the Chargers. Then they got to deal with the Lions. Then they finish with uh Patriots Chargers again and Raiders like it's a little bit more manageable than the Bills schedule so the Bills not only have to make up ground um but they have to firmly like not even allow that tiebreaker to even be a factor like if they finish with the same record they're out right so they're in a unique position of technically only being a game back in the division but still not even in the playoffs if they started today because all of the losses they've had have been hugely consequential in tiebreakers. Like they've consistently shot themselves in the foot in terms of losing on these tiebreakers. So I don't know what's going to happen with Buffalo. Like you could sell me either way on like, yeah, they're going to be there or yeah, they're not. But they have to hit basically every green light down the stretch to make this because they cost themselves so much in the first half of the season. What felt like a potentially inconsequential game against the Broncos turns out to be anything but because of the Broncos resurgence. And like you said, if you're not going to win the division, which kind of feels like the way they have to do it, it almost feels like they're going to have to get some help from the Dolphins to do that. Like the Dolphins are going to have to hit a skid, which could happen, but doesn't look super likely right now. You know those motion graphics with the bar graphs that are mm-hmm. chronological and it goes through time and the bars. There's going to be so much more motion in the AFC one than there is in the NFC one. And you're going to see like three and four spot drops because of situations like this with the Bills and who they've played well against and who they haven't. And yeah, that slate down the <laughs> down the finishing stretch, not friendly to the Bills. They are going to have to continue to play well, limit mistakes. They did look more cohesive is the word I'll use against the Jets. They seem to be able to string more things together. It felt more sort of faded that those drives were going to end with something and not just kind of fizzle out for some seemingly unknown reason or bad consequence. And that's against a good defense in the Jets. So that's encouraging. They're going to need more of that. And if you really dug into, I love the Ken Dorsey era. Is that an era? I guess it is. Um, technically, yeah. <laughs> that Technically, that's the thing that they didn't have is, again, situationally per play in terms of what they earned and where they scored from and everything else. They were good. But when you looked at the play to play sort of linked together consistency and what you know, people don't like to call momentum. I'm using the term cohesiveness. It felt like it was much more likely to jump the tracks and get you nothing. And yesterday felt less like that. So that's a good step in the right direction. But man, they're going to need to lean on it. And holy cow, they can't take any more injuries in the secondary. Like, honestly, if I played in the Buffalo secondary right now, I might just say, you know, I'm out. I just I'm I it's it's like a you know final destination movie right it's just it has the next pay at up. this point man like it's just it's for being terrible. there yeah it's I've I haven't seen a unit that hard hit that consistently because it happened last year too like the secondary took a lot of bad injuries last year as well they've done it again this year and it's been if anything even worse and that's so surprising and that's that's going to plague them down the stretch you you mentioned a bunch of the best passing offenses 
in the NFL that they have to go against in this last six games. They can't afford to be shorthanded. So it looks pretty good right now, but if I'm a Buffalo fan, I'm I'm worried about this last six games. Yeah, it's uh it's not gonna be a, a fun November and December in in western New York. Like they still might make it, but it, it could be by the skin of their teeth. Anyway, uh that'll wrap it up for this week's show. Again, we're not we don't have a second show because, you know, Thanksgiving family all that kind of stuff like we we should actually see our family at some point so we'll be back next monday with the week 12 recap where i'm sure everything that we talked about today with playoff seating will be entirely irrelevant uh but either way bunch of good games on the docket this week looking at the thanksgiving slate looking at the sunday slate the primetime slate this year is backloaded for sure in terms of quality matchups so Lots to look forward to. We'll talk about it all on Monday. Thank you all for watching. Thank you to our executive producer tier over on Patreon, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. Couldn't do this without you guys. Uh, and with that, EJ, let's get out of here. Happy holidays. <laughs>